Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter number two, I want to read a couple, few verses of scripture here uh, throughout this particular chapter. I want to read the first two verses, then I'll skip down to verse number seven and read there as well. The Bible says in the first two verses, and again, some of these we have treaded over a little bit, but it's okay. Then Jonah prayed, and the then, just to preface here, the then comes after the, the Bible says in the last verse of chapter number one that he's been swallowed by uh, a great fish. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell I cried. So Jonah's kind of equating this whole experience with something very horrible as though as though he had already died because the hell there is not the hell fire and brimstone of eternal torment that we think of someday but it's it's basically the grave where people are held uh, until judgment i cried and cried i and thou heardest my voice jonah said verse number seven he said when my soul fainted within me i remembered the lord and my prayer came in unto thee in thine holy temple they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord, he says. Salvation is of the Lord. For a little while this morning, I want to uh, talk to us today about this. My prayer, everybody say my prayer and his mercy. My prayer. His mercy. Amen. Let's go to the Lord right now and pray. Father, we're grateful. And I need you this morning to anoint my mind and anoint these lips of clay. Help me, oh God, to say something, Lord, appropriate, adequate, relevant. God, right now for someone, Lord, in their individual lives. God, strengthen us today. Help us, Lord, to go forward in the power, Lord, of your resurrection forward. Lord Jesus, God, by the might of your spirit, God, and see what heaven, Lord God, would share with us today through the word of God, that word that will be judged by, that word, Lord, that helps God give direction for our lives. We'll thank you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen in the church. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, today, if you go to Psalms chapter number 50, the psalmist in Psalms chapter number 50 really sums up every aspect of Jonah chapter number 2 just in a couple of verses in Psalms chapter number 50. It's amazing how the Bible does this at times. It fits so perfectly together, or it does all the time, but our awareness of it uh, comes even more uh, prominent at different times. The psalmist said in Psalms 50, and this is in nutshell, Jonah chapter number 2, it says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. 
and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. This is the nutshell uh, of Jonah chapter number 2. Uh, whenever the scripture says here in Psalms, you can look at it, you might need to keep your finger in both places and look back and forth, but in Psalms fifty fifteen, when the psalmist says, call upon me, and the me, of course, there is referring to God, call upon me or call upon God in the day of trouble, we read in the first two verses of chapter number 2 of Jonah that Jonah prayed to God from the fish's belly and that Jonah had called everything that had happened to him up to that moment his affliction or mine affliction. And so we have him calling upon the Lord in the day of his trouble. The Bible says in Psalms to offer unto God thanksgiving. Before this is all said and done in verse number 9 of Jonah 2, the Bible says that Jonah said that he will sacrifice unto the Lord with a voice of thanksgiving. Giving In Psalms, it says, pay thy vows unto the Most High. Again, in Jonah, we see in chapter 2 and verse 9 that he says, I will pay that that I have vowed. And then in the Psalms, the psalmist said that I will deliver thee. Again, the references to God, that God will deliver thee. And in verse 10 of Jonah 2, he says, And the Lord spake unto the fish, as the writing goes, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. I know that that may have a hard time wrapping around your mind that that's deliverance, but it really is. Uh, being vomited out of the fish was deliverance uh, for Jonah. And I don't know if I'll ever look at this again again in a couple of weeks or not or next week or whenever uh, but uh, you must understand that the fish had a job as well he was employed by the Lord the Lord prepared the fish he sent him and had him a job description just the same as he had Jonah job description Jonah thought his job description was hard going to speak to the Ninevites but think about this here's a fish that's told to take care and put this man through vomiting <laughs> all right back on dry land Fish are not normally dry land creatures. And if we was big enough to swallow a man, getting the dry land to vomit him out isn't going to be the easiest job. But it was a part of God's will for even the purpose of the fish. So this is kind of commercial, but it's not always easy to follow the prescription of the Lord, but it's necessary. Right? Okay, nonetheless, going back now to Psalms. Psalms, the Bible says that thou shalt glorify me. And the Bible tells us in verse 6 and also in verse 9 that finally Jonah came to this place that he gives glory to the Lord because he realizes that it was the Lord that brought his life up from corruption. And he ultimately speaks then that salvation is of the Lord. There's something happening in Jonah chapter number 2. We do not we do not hear these words neither are they necessarily recorded for us that Jonah makes this big confession of sin that you know what God I was wrong to not listen to you and I was wrong to turn the other direction we don't hear this big confession of sin or repentance that's taking place but there is in chapter number two a sense of repentance that is taking place in the fish belly prayer room that Jonah uh, had that was provided for him by God because his prayer began after being swallowed the bible says verse 2 then jonah prayed after being swallowed by the great fish and he began to pray for reasons he was uh, presently going through all these circumstances that he called his affliction right and here's something that we understand and i want to talk to you a little bit about our prayer or prayer in general this morning and that is this prayer isn't always prompted by gratitude and awe and thanksgiving Right? 
It's not always prompted about, oh, Lord, you are so wonderful and thou art the grand creator of all the universe and, Lord, I thank thee for the food on my table and the vehicle to drive. It's not always thanksgiving and awe and gratitude. Prayer isn't always prompted by those things. Now, I'm not going to discount today that, that gratitude and all and these different things, thanksgiving, are, are some aspects of prayer or facets of prayer. But those things this morning are not necessarily the things that prompt us at times to pray. I will tell you today, as pastors of this church and a Christian that's part of this network called Humanity, that sometimes, and I even dare to say many times, prayer is provoked by trouble. It's not always because of what's going right and the thanksgiving and the all. There's a lot of times, Brother Terry, I must admit, that prayer is provoked by trouble. The Bible says in the New Testament, in the book of James, we use this for, you know, times of praying for the sick and things like that. But the scripture was this, is any sick among you? It says, let him pray. It says, is any sick among you? Let him pray. It's not let us pray, but it's basically saying, let him, the one who is sick, let him pray. The psalmist said in one of the other psalms, Psalms 118, he said, I called upon the Lord in distress. The word called there is relating to this act of prayer. In other words, I prayed unto the Lord in distress. He wasn't talking about rainbows and skittles and ponies and things like that. He said, in distress, I called upon him. We read in the Old Testament scripture, and there are several women that went through this, but whenever we read about Hannah being at the temple of God and she's groaning and crying in so much that even the priest mistaken her for being drunk, she was praying to God, not because she had five children sitting at her table. She's praying unto God because she did not have the ability to have children. She was praying because she was barren. For that matter, the Bible also records these words about Jesus Christ because, you know, sometimes people look uh, how this person acted, David, or how Hannah acted, or that one. Yeah, but that, well, let's go to Jesus then, all right? So when we look at Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the words or the phrase in Luke 22, the Bible says concerning Jesus, and being in an agony. That don't sound like a good day. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Amen. And so what I'm saying this morning is this. Prayer isn't for those who have it all together. No. Prayer isn't for those who, you know, lives with you and all, oh, they have the perfect line never, and nothing ever goes wrong with them. Sure, they can pray. Right? Prayer isn't for the altogether. Many times prayer is for those of us who are falling apart. Or our worlds are falling apart. Or trouble and headache and sorrow and sickness and disease and loss has visited our life. With that being said this morning, let me urge you that don't wait to pray until you feel like you have the proper posture for prayer. Don't wait to pray until you feel like, well, you know, you got to have certain words in order to pray a flowery prayer just a certain way. Don't wait to pray for all of those things. Make a prayer room, if you will, out of your fish's 
belly. Amen. Or as Jesus did, make a prayer room out of your garden of Gethsemane. Right? Because the garden of Gethsemane basically means, Gethsemane means the oil press. And the oil press that Jesus was in, that garden of Gethsemane, those words, oil press or Gethsemane, yes, it may have described what Jesus did in prayer. Maybe he was toiling very hard in prayer and very earnest in his prayer. Or it may properly describe, and I think perhaps this is even better, it may properly describe the environment and the surroundings that prompted his prayer, right? There was crucifix just on the horizon. There was his arrest just around the corner. And so he was in the oil press. The oil press or the olive meal was a place where olives were crushed in order to make oil. And Jesus, during this time of great agony, is praying more earnestly because he's feeling, if you will, the crushing of his human desires. It's there he's praying, Father, not my will, but Thy will be done. He knew what was going to take place. He told his disciples, I'm going to be taken by the chief priests and these people and they're going to do harm unto me and to the place that I'm going to die on the third day, I'm going to get up. He knew what was going to take place and happen. And so he feels the crushing of his human desires because the humanity of him didn't want to die. His flesh didn't want to die. He's feeling the weight of all of mankind's sins being draped over his shoulders. He who knew no sin became sin for you and I. And so here he is in a place of crushing. And so what I'm trying to advise us today concerning prayer is this, that whether it's a place of crushing, agony, distress, bareness, whatever you want to label it, sickness, affliction, amen, prayers have been made in all of those places and more appropriately, prayers should be made made amen prayer should be made in all of those places so if you feel like life has given you any of those type of prayer rooms amen or circumstances concerning prayer then God has given you a prayer room if he's given you distress you got a prayer room if he's given you sickness and disease, you got a prayer room. If he's given you a fish's belly, you have a prayer room today, and he's given that to you, and that's always a good reason to pray. Amen. It might feel bad at the time, but it's a good reason to pray. The book of Jonah then has some things to teach us, I believe, about prayer. Twice in chapter, or twice in verse number two, particularly of chapter number two, Jonah tells us about himself crying unto the Lord. He says, I cried unto the Lord because of my affliction. I cried unto the Lord from what he was describing as the belly of hell. But here's something that we learn about prayer through Jonah in his crying out unto the Lord. And we need not miss this because this is important for our own lives. He says, I cried unto the Lord. He's praying unto the Lord. Then he says in both occasions, and he heard me. And he says, God, you heard my voice. So Jonah's letting us know right away that crying in his affliction and praying in his trouble and distress was not discounted, was not ignored, and he wasn't wasting time. God heard his voice. For that matter, let's back up a little bit. Somebody who is on a path of disobedience, this man who is on a path that's running away from God, even in his prayer, God hears his prayer. It is a myth that prayer is tailored just for ideal situations. 
We've all already trampled that ground. It's a myth that prayer is tailored for ideal situations. It is also a myth this morning, I'd like to inform you, that prayers are only answered when you are good enough to deserve an answer. Amen. Because I think sometimes we refrain from praying. Because we don't think we're in good enough standing to hear any answer or any feedback from God. We avoid the very thing that we need to engage in because we don't think he'll listen to my prayer because I'm Jonah, I fled, I ran, I disobeyed. Jonah's disobeyed the word of God. The word of the Lord came to him, tell him to do something. He did just the opposite. He's disobeyed the word of God. He's fled from the presence of God. He's tried to ignore the intervention of God. Storm came, what's he do? I'm going down to the bottom of the ship and going to sleep. He he ignores the intervention of God. He even refuses to pray to God when they wake him up and said, cry out to your God. He doesn't do it, right? I don't know what he's feeling, but maybe he didn't want to do it because he's like, you know, I haven't been the good boy, you know, here lately. I've, I've had some hiccups along my journey. And so he refuses to pray to God So if we start going through just the first chapter of Jonah and start keeping tally marks, if you will, why God shouldn't hear Jonah, we'd be like, one, two, three. Huh? It's like if he didn't, we'd understand, you know what I'm saying? Because Jonah's been this character. But we have enough evidence to prove that. But there's something we got to look at. Again, I think is a grand myth. And that is prayer isn't about being good enough. Listen to me. Prayer's about being honest enough. Oh, God. It's not about being good enough. It's about being honest enough with God. Jonah, in this chapter 2 story, has a change of mind as he's praying unto the Lord. The old saying used to be, it's not so much that when you pray, it it changes God, but it changes you. And Jonah has a change of mind as he is praying. Because what we start to see in chapter 2, here is a man that isn't good enough, but he is honest enough with the Lord. Because as he's praying, he's honest with God about how he really feels. He's honest with God about the storm and the water that's collecting about him, the seaweed. He's honest with God about how he feels like, God, you're the one that's done this. God, you cast me into the deep. God, it's your billows. It's your waves. He's just being honest. with Now, you know, just a person-to-person, you know, conversation. Whenever you get accusatory with someone, that someone usually goes on the defense. Right? But God, he can take it. He just wants you to get honest with him. God, this is, this is you threw me here. These are the billows I'm compassed about. I'm entangled in everything that's going on around here. God, I'm even compassed. This is the way Jonah, he's just spilling it out to the Lord. He said, I'm compassed about even to my soul. In other words, God, this hasn't been just some superficial happening in my life. This isn't just trouble on the surface. He said, this is jeopardized my very and it's your fault. He might not be good enough, but Jonah's honest enough to pray. Has anybody been honest in prayer? Come on, I'm talking about really honest. Let me tell you, there's been some times in my life I've been so honest with God in prayer that it's almost scared me when I walked away. I'm serious, thinking that he's probably going, something's going, he's going to do something to me because I was just like, there it is, God. 
If you've been in this church sometimes when I've been honest with God in prayer, I try to be honest with God when nobody else is to listen in on. But son, I've been in this church sometimes and I admit to you there have been times that I have talked to God in prayer uh, in this church and if you were even in earshot distance outside the walls, you would have thought I was screaming to the top of my lungs at God. And I'm not, I am not, I am not stretching the imagination any bit. You'd think I was screaming at the top of my lungs at God. Not because I was trying to be heard, but because I was frustrated. Because I was angry. Because I was mad. I have come in here and I have beat my fist on the floor of this church. And it's not because I was doing it because I had passion. It was because I had outrage. Uh, are you okay with some honesty here? I had outrage against God. Stress, trouble, all the other things. I had outrage with God and I beat my fist because I've been upset. There have been times in prayer that I have felt, yes, angry at God, mad at God. And he's let me stand there or kneel there or wherever I was under a pew, over a pew. He's let me do all that, belch out all my rage and belch out all of my frustration. And it's even in those moments, folks, that I've noticed sometimes almost what I would call the musings of God because he's in the scenario and I'm doing all this, I'm screaming, taking on like having my temper tempering before the Lord in prayer and he's not offended. Hmm. But you know what he really is? He's relieved because I've gotten honest with him about how I really feel and about how I'm perceiving everything that's going on in my circumstance, situation, or life. Huh? Oh, Brother McGee, you should not have talked to God like that. Well, I'll tell you, I came in not being good enough. I was just being honest. Now, we say that sometimes with each other. I was just being honest. You know, sometimes you just need to take that and be honest with God. Because you're not going to offend him. He's heard it all. He's been betrayed and denied, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, what you got? Sometimes we got to get honest with our God because in reality, as we are getting honest with God, you know what we're doing? We're getting honest with ourselves. Hmm. And then something happens in the process of getting honest. And maybe someone can relate to this. If you can't, then I'll just go away this morning knowing that it was just me. But have you ever, and this is just between two people, right? Have you ever talked to someone about a problem, you know, hoping that they could give you some insight? Maybe, you know, that third party uh, perspective or objective or, uh, you know, being able to look at it and give you some insight to it. But as you talked about the situation and you continued to talk, clarity was coming to your own mind. They hadn't even said anything. You're just talking about it and clarity starting to come in your own mind and how you saw it. When you first started talking about it, your idea about that even started to change the more you talked about it to the degree that you could even be more objective about what you was talking about right now toward the end of the conversation than you were when you first started the conversation. And what it all came down to is this. They never said anything. <laughs> they was just there listening and what you really needed was just to hear yourself reason it out for the better or for the worse. Has that ever happened to anybody? If not, that's okay. But it's happened to me. I've come with a problem or talked to somebody wanting their view, 
but never giving them a chance to talk. And I'm talking, I'm talking, and as I'm thinking it's one direction, in my mind, clarity's coming, and maybe I was wrong, or maybe that wasn't the way it was. That's the way it's coming clear in my mind. And I walk away very objective about something that I was all in a mess about. And they didn't say a word, but I just need to talk it out. Or sometimes you need to pray it out. Sometimes you need to pray it out. Because just as much as that's happened for me with another individual, that's happened to me sometimes in prayer. I went like Jonah did with all that. God, you cast me into the sea. God, it was your billows. God, it was your waves. And before it's all said and done, I'm start talking about, well, God, I went down. Huh? As I talk, there comes clarity. Amen. And I admit to you, I admit, there's sometimes I've walked away, uh, even in prayer, in situations like that, and I've nearly felt like a fool. Think of what I cracked these two lips open with to begin with for unto God. Amen. But what I realize is that I'm not alone. Jonah had the same scenario. He begins his prayer. He begins, I believe, a little bit upset. Amen. Toward the Lord. But somewhere along the journey in the prayer of someone that wasn't good enough but honest enough, he had a change of mind. He had a change of mind about his circumstances and a change of mind at its most basic spot is truly repentance. Again, we don't have words of confession that's spoken in Jonah chapter number two, but whenever he says, God, you you did this and you did this and can turn around and say, well, this is what I did. There has been a change that's taken place. He blamed God for everything. But then at the end, he has taken ownership himself and realizing that God is there to try to save him from his mess. The Bible says in Jonah 2 and verse 6, he says, Jonah says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou, speaking to God, brought me up from my life from corruption. O Lord, my God. So Jonah, we even read in the next verse, that Jonah so is fainted. He is in extreme danger. But then he said he remembered the Lord and he directed his prayer to the temple. He directed his prayer to the house of God. Oh, folks, someone hear me today. There are some things that you need not, you need not cut off from your life because you don't think you're good enough. That is prayer and that's your attention to the house of the Lord. All right? Solomon, in the Old Testament scripture, Solomon He supervised the construction of perhaps one of the most elaborate temples that were ever built, the Temple of Solomon. Human hands created it, no doubt. Amen. But it was in the heart of David, and that was given into his son Solomon to build this house for the Lord. And when the Temple of Solomon was finished, the Bible records that Solomon prayed, and it's quite a lengthy prayer. Amen. He prayed a lengthy prayer of dedication for the Temple of Solomon. And his words to God that he prayed to God, you can find this in 1 Kings 8, his words to God were nothing more but reminders about what God had said. God had said, you build this place and I'll place my name there. I'll place my name on the temple and the prayers that are prayed toward here, here or toward here. He said, I will honor, I will hear, right? I will answer. And so there was a connection, even the Old Testament, between people's prayers in the temple. There was a connection. Even if they weren't there, he said, if you can pray in that direction, if you can connect your prayer to the temple, 
He says, I'll hear the people's prayers. I will answer. This is what the Bible says in 1 Kings 8 and verse number 30. And hearken thou, this is, this is Solomon, and hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they shall pray toward this place. He's speaking of the temple. When they shall pray toward this place and hear thou, he's saying, God, hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and when thou hearest, forgive. Solomon had set it up. He says, so if we're at war or we're in a distant land, but we're in a place that we need to offer some prayers, if we pray toward that place where you said your name would be, God, hear, but don't just hear, but also forgive. And so Solomon rehearses this over and over in the ears of the people. He tells them when you have a trespass, whenever Israel, Lord, has been beaten down before their enemy, and it has happened because they've sinned. They've sinned and, 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 and the enemy has come against them and you've allowed them to come in against them because of their sin. But whenever they've been beaten down before the enemy and they cry out to you, he said, hear them. When heaven is shut up, when there's no rain falling, which was always a direct result usually of God's people being in a little bit of a distant relationship with him. He said, when heaven is shut up, he said, if famine has come or pestilence or blasting or mildew or locust, the list gets long. He said, plague, sickness, any affliction, anything that would trouble them. God, if they pray toward this temple, he said, you said you would hear and you said you would forgive. So Jonah has an affliction here that he calls his affliction, but he remembers God. And he says, I'm going to turn my attention and my prayer toward the temple. And the scripture tells us that God did hear and God will forgive. Can I say it like this this morning? That in God, Jonah found mercy. From God, Jonah experienced grace in so much that he proclaims a reality that was even found among the sailors on the ship. Amen. That Jonah found himself in the belly of the fish and that the Ninevites would soon find in the city of Nineveh. And that is this. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Listen, in other words, if there's any mercy that flows into your life, it's God's mercy. If there's any grace that it comes extended to you, it's God's grace. Salvation. Jonah said, it, if I may, for my title purpose, it was my prayer, but it was his mercy. It was my honesty, but it was his grace. Someone say amen. Salvation is of the Lord. Now look again at these sailors. We've been looking at Jonah now. We're trying to get our way through, but we've been looking at this now for a while and turning this story up on its head. The sailors on the ship that Jonah had been upon, they feared firstly the storm and they prayed to their little G-O-D-S, their, little, their gods, right? They prayed to their gods. And then around verse number 10, the sailors, they were afraid or feared the complacency of Jonah, right? The inaction of Jonah. Because he wasn't doing anything, but he claimed to serve the God that created the dry land and the sea. And so they feared his complacency. You know the one that can take care of all this, but you're not doing anything about it. That made them fearful. They feared the complacency of Jonah, all right? But then finally, you read somewhere a little later in some of the closing verses of chapter number one, the Bible says that they feared the Lord because they understood really that salvation came. From the Lord. So get it. These men who started out 
praying to their little G-O-D-S, is the gods, finished by praying to the God. Those who start putting their confidence in their, uh, you know, idols of wood and stone and heathenistic, paganistic gods were praying to the one God of Israel. The Bible says it like this, that they beseeched him. (laughs) They beseeched him. And guess what? They heard, he heard their honesty. Because as they were beseeching the Lord, you know what they were saying? They knew they was going to have to throw Jonah overboard. They'd already tried rowing to the shore all by themselves. And they was like, God, don't let the blood of this innocent man be upon us. <laughs> Look at this. Don't let the blood of this man be upon us. God, we're going to have to do this. They're beseeching the Lord. They're being honest about how they felt about what they were going to do. Amen. And all this stuff was taking place. And the Lord heard their honesty and he spared their lives. So say Amen. So they progressed from fearing the storm to fearing the Lord. Amen. Jonah, in his own life, evolved from blaming God about his plight to taking responsibility for it and saying, the Lord helped me. The sailors, you can look at it here in Jonah 1, the sailors, when it was all said and done and Jonah was thrown overboard and peace, as it were, came to the waters and to the ship and to their own lives, the Bible says that the sailors offered sacrifice and made vows unto the God of Israel. You'll see later in chapter number 2 that Jonah is going to, after he's come to his moment of clarity for his own life, he will likewise offer his voice of thanksgiving as a sacrifice. And he says, I'll pay the vow that I made unto the Lord. Someone say amen. Amen. Now look, look how this is worded, will you, in verse number nine. Look how this is worded. Jonah says, I will pay that, that, I will pay that, that I have vowed. I will pay that, that I have vowed. In other words, look at this. I will pay that, that I have vowed. Jonah is going to get back to an earlier commitment he had made with God. He's not just saying, I will pay something that I'm going to vow. But he's saying, I'm going to pay something that somewhere back here I vowed. He's getting back to an earlier commitment he had made. Now, what that is, I don't know. You know, we, we, could, we could look at it and think, well, does is, is that mean that he's going to obey the Lord now, the word of the Lord that came to him, that spoke to him the first time, perhaps? Does that mean he's going to get back in line and be in the prophet that God has called him to be? Perhaps. Who knows? Regardless, what we do know is this, that he's coming back to a former commitment that he had made to God. And that was the result a prayer. He's coming back to some former commitment and that was the result of a prayer that was from someone that wasn't good enough but honest enough. Didn't have it all together. Huh? Someone say amen. Let me say like, prayer can fix what we're willing to be honest about. Prayer can fix what we'll be willing to uncover. Because God can take those ignored commitments and in prayer cause us to rediscover and renew them by prayer. Now look, look what Jonah says in verse number eight. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. 
They that, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. He will very soon tell us that salvation belongs to the Lord. That salvation comes from the Lord and that salvation in, in essence is God's area of authority to decide what to do, his choice. Therefore, whenever we read verse number eight, Jonah is saying that perhaps a couple of things for your consideration this morning. Jonah is either saying, if you observe lying vanities, for instance, like false gods, there is no hope of mercy with them because those gods can't give mercy. They don't have it to give. More frankly, they're not real to begin with. So you'll receive nothing real or genuine from them because their existence is really a figment of your imagination. All right? Or another thing for consideration, Jonah may believe, he may believe that mercy is only granted to those in covenant with God. That those observing lying vanities like other gods forsake their own mercy because salvation is of the Lord. Now here, this is just me. You don't have to agree with me on this point. It ain't going to hurt my feelings one bit. But I lean toward the fact that Jonah, knowing the rest of this story, that Jonah may have misunderstood mercy in this regard. I think he missed that salvation is of the Lord and not just of any particular people group. He said salvation is of the Lord. But I think underlyingly in his mind, he's thinking salvation is for Israel and Israelites. He didn't want to go to the non-Israelites to begin with. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen. So I think that he, because he still got it twisted even a little further that we'll look at weeks to come. You know, salvation is of the Lord. And so those that, those that are tied up with, with, with observe lying vanities and they forsake their own mercy. If, if they're not in covenant with God, there's just no mercy for those type of people. But you know this morning, but allow me just to hit the nail on the head one more time. Salvation can come to anyone, any race, creed, people, past background, pedigree, ancestry, at any mode or station in life. The Bible says in Titus 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all Men, not just appeared to Israel, not just appeared to Gentiles or Samaritans, not just appeared to white people or Asian people or black people, not just appeared to those that were raised in Christian homes, but to all men. See, what we have the benefit of, you know, in our generation, we have the Bible, is that we can read the story from beginning and end, and we know what's happening while something else is simultaneously happening. We get the bird's eye view. Whereas those who are actually a part of the story in the moment, what's happening over here, they're oblivious of. They don't know what's going on. And so we have a bird's eye view because here are some things Jonah did not know. 
Here's some things Jonah did not know. Here's what we know is, is that the sailors cried out and beseeched God. See, they threw him, right? They threw him over. They cried unto the Lord. We know that they beseeched the Lord. All right. He's still there as they're beseeching God. So he's aware of this. But we know that they beseech God. All right. And they feared God. But what Jonah doesn't know is what happened after he was thrown over. He might have heard their prayer, but he didn't understand that they went on to sacrifice unto God and that they went on to make some vows unto the Lord. Huh? And he didn't necessarily know. I don't know how quick. It really don't tell us. You could make all kinds of things. We don't know how quick the, the fish swallowed him. We don't know if he struggled for a while and began sinking to the depths and then the fish swallowed him. But what I'm saying, once he's overboard and all this takes place, I'm sure he's not too worried about what's going on in the ship. He's worried about what's going on in the water. Right? So we don't know how much he really knows or doesn't know. But what we know, according to the God word, is that these non-Israelite people got on the receiving end of God's mercy. They made sacrifices, they made vows, and they got on the end, the receiving end of God's mercy. We know that. But here's Jonah. He's thrown overboard. At some point in time, he's swallowed by a fish. He doesn't know the full outcome of the sailors or what manifested itself after their prayer. Woo! He might have heard them beseeching his God, and he might have viewed it just as People that's not good enough. Woo. Not in covenant. Talking to his God. Woo. But what he realized in his own fish belly had already taken place on the ship while he was sinking or swallowed. And that is that God heard a prayer and provided his mercy. Woo. Oh, Jesus. To a bunch of non-Israelite People, huh? Jonah knows this, that evidently somewhere along the way concerning himself, that he acted irreverently toward God and that he prayed and that God's mercy sustained him his life so much so that he was vomited out on dry land and ultimately he was delivered so that he could continue on dry land toward his mission that God had called him for for Nineveh. In other words, he knew salvation was of the Lord concerning himself. But he could get things a little bit blurry, if you will, thinking, well, yeah, I'm an Israelite. I'm somebody in covenant with God. But before he was ever vomited on land, God had already showed mercy to non Israelites on a boat. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so here it is. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah's thinking, I'm in covenant with him. I'm a part of his people. I got access to his mercy. Woo. I got good news for you today. It doesn't matter if you're in covenant now or not. You still got access to God's mercy. It doesn't. It doesn't matter where you presently are, what you face, what you have done. You still have access. His mercy is new every morning. That's just not for those that are in covenant. That are those that are... Oh God. The Bible... The Bible says in Psalm 66 and verse 16, let me read just a few verses of Scripture. I got to hurry. Always. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. I like this. 
Verse 17, I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. Verse 18, if I regard iniquity, that means tending to iniquity. That means making provisions for iniquity, right? That means doing what you always wanted to do and just keep doing it. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Verse 19, but verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. So it tells us what all this crying in the previous verses were about. They were about prayer. He said, he attended to the voice of my prayer. Verse 20, blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor, someone seeing it there, nor his mercy. Nor his mercy. Can I tell you this morning that as the psalmist is talking to us, amen, even maybe having been in a position of iniquity and failure and past, he says, I'm trying, I'm trying to turn this ship around. God won't hear me if I regard and tend to make provision, amen, for my iniquity. But if I pray, amen, have that change in my heart, amen, he'll hear me, he'll hear my prayer, and he'll not turn away from my prayer, and he'll not turn away his mercy. Listen to me this morning. The psalmist does not pair mercy with his pedigree. The psalmist does not pair mercy with his genealogy of his race. He pairs it with a man that's being honest about his iniquity in his prayer. There's a coupling together of an honest prayer and God's mercy. I'm telling somebody today, if we'll just get honest in our prayer, we will be recipients of God's mercy. It's my prayer, but it's his mercy. Yes. 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 What are you saying? I'm saying this this morning. Verse number eight is not trying to eliminate anyone or any ethnic group from God's grace or God's mercy or God's salvation. It's basically letting us know this, that when we choose other things, listen to me, that when we choose other things or God's over the one true God, then we forfeited the grace that could be ours because those other things can't give it to us. Those other things can't provide the mercy you need. Those other things can't provide the grace you need. Those other things can't provide the joy you need and the peace you need and the long suffering you need and the goodness you need and the gentleness you need. You forfeit all that. But if you'll tether yourself to God and get honest with God, there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Everything you need, you desire, you'll find mercy there. For Jonah, 
Mercy was realized when his prayer of honesty was repentance. And he changed his mind from you, 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 God, to I. From accusatory to assuming responsibility. That's repentance. Assume responsibility for the wrong, for the wayward trip. Just assume, don't be accused, just assume responsibility. And so mercy came when Jonah refused the lying vanities of his little escapade he'd been on. What are you saying, I'm saying this. Here's some of the lying vanities that Jonah was being duped into believing. You can sin and get away from it, get away with it. Another line vanity he was telling himself was this. Ignore reality and it won't bother you. Another one he was telling himself was this. You can run away from the responsibilities of life and still enjoy the privileges of life. Number one, you can sin and get away with it. Lie. Jonah didn't get away with his sin. The storm of God found him on the ship. And the trip on the ship cost him a price. It cost a price to get on. It's from my understanding from reading that the trip from there to Tarsus, the different stops that they had to make in order to get to Tarsus, which was modern day over in Spain, that it had taken about a year for that trip to even come to full Full trip from where he started to where he ended would have probably taken about a year. And here's the thing. This is quite mind-blowing for me because you, normally you would pay the cost at the end rather than at the beginning. I'm just talking about culture. Naturally, you paid the cost at the end rather than at the beginning. But Jonah paid the price up front. And they said that the price of it was so much that he probably had to disband all of this other goods that he had in his life liquidate in order to pay the price. In other words, he paid for it with his life. Someone say man. So you don't get away. You don't get away with sin. He paid the price. He even tried to go to the bottom of the boat and try to sleep away the storm. Didn't work. Non-Israelites, he tried to get even away from non-Israelites. Say, you know, non-Israelite people. He got on the boat with a bunch of them. Couldn't get away. He could not get away. Amen. Ignoring, ignoring what you did don't make you get away with what you get, did. I hope I said that right. Ignoring it doesn't make you get away with it. Someone say amen. Not only that, if, if you think you're going to ignore reality, it don't bother you. You know, he went down to the bottom of the ship. They, they woke him up. You think you're going to be a just ignore it, sleep through it? Nope. It's going to interrupt you. Finally, responsibility. Speaking about you can't run away from responsibilities in your life and still enjoy the privileges of life because responsibility are two sides to the same coin. Responsibility and privilege are two sides to the same coin. Privileges come with responsibility and vice versa. 
But the, all right, privileges come with responsibility or differently, responsibility even comes with privileges sometimes. Two sides of the same coin. But the moment, the moment you abandon responsibility, you've cast the privilege that was attached to that aside. The moment that Jonah decides not to be responsible with the message of God, the message that God had given him for Nineveh, in the very instant, though it materializes later, in the very instant, he lost the privilege of being a passenger on the ship. This privilege wasn't taken when he disobeyed, but it was revoked already when he disobeyed. What are you saying? I'm saying don't, don't forfeit, as he said in verse 8, he come to learn. Don't forfeit the grace that could be yours. Don't forfeit the salvation and mercy that could be yours. Stand with me. You don't have to be. Everything don't have to be all Thanksgiving. Oh, I can't, can't pray today. I'm just having a real hard time being thankful. Well, that's all right. Just be honest. Can't pray today because I really don't feel no grand awe or, you know, anything. that's all right. Just be honest. Brother McGee, I've been kind of, you know, wayward and really don't feel good enough. That's all right. That's not, that's not the, that's not the requirement. Just be, just be honest. Because there might become some, come some clarity through your honesty and your prayer may materialize in his mercy. Your prayer may just materialize in his mercy. Don't collect other things around you and put your hope and confidence and all that in. They will, they will leave you just as helpless and hopeless as you were when you first found them or first catered to them or first pulled them in close. But I can tell you this. We have a God we have a God that can speak to whatever it may be and put your feet back on some dry land and head your path in the right direction. If in a moment of clarity of just being real and honest with God, there comes that moment. says, God, I realize this isn't, this isn't all that you have done. I've, I've been part owner in this of what has taken place. And God, I went down. But I'm seeing right in this moment that you're trying to bring me up from the corruption of my life. And salvation belongs unto the Lord. If we bow our heads today, perhaps some would we begin to pray. We're standing here this morning. We never stand before the Lord as perfect people. We just stand before Him as forgiven people. We don't stand here as those with it all together. Most days of my life, I stand before him as somebody that's just fallen apart. But his mercy. He blesses me and disposes upon my life, his mercy. Because the reality is, the mercy that I receive today, I'm going to need another portion of it tomorrow. The grace that I've lived my life out on today, I'm going to need a portion of grace tomorrow. I would like to say that every fault I've ever made, I got right and never turned back to. But you know what? There's times I've fallen back to the same fault, snared by the same trap, walked headlong into what I knew I was getting myself into. And I've went to God and I've blamed him and I've screamed at him and told him if this was the way it was going to be and blah, blah, blah. The longer I talked and prayed, clarity started to come. 
it's really not that way, is it, God? I went down. You brought me up. Would someone offer a prayer today where you're sitting or at this altar? Would someone want to offer a prayer today? God, I'm not here because I'm good enough. I'm just here this morning because I just want to be honest enough with you. And perhaps in your praying, there will be a change of mind. Perhaps in your Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.